0: Equal opportunity of from multiple abysses, aka responsible, proper, social distance shit-talking from spare bedrooms across suburban Atlanta. Welcome to the Godless Heath's Podcast, everybody. Thanks for listening.
1: I'm Don. I'm Jeff. And I'm Jerry. This is a podcast by atheists that talks about a lot of things, not just atheism. We will challenge your assumptions and ours too. Definitely not here to preach to the atheist choir, but to critique, ridicule, and poke fun at anyone, especially ourselves.
2: So join us as we examine the crossroads of politics and religion from the secular perspective. And it's episode 107, and once again, it is a very, very special episode. Yes, so we're welcoming back to the podcast Dr. Vincent Racaniello. He was on, back in September, episode 101, which seems like a lifetime ago in COVID years. And uh, so, just if you didn't hear the background, he's he's been studying and teaching about viruses for over 40 years. He's a Higgins professor in the Department of Microbiology and Immunology at Columbia University in New York City. And he also does several podcasts, including This Week in Virology, which is where I first heard of him. And he's been hosting that for over 12 years. Uh, he also does a, a weekly clinical update with Dr. Daniel Griffin, who's an infectious disease practitioner and instructor. And that one is is great if you want like the latest and greatest from that perspective. Uh, So when we last talked, Vincent was finishing work on the incubator, which is a, a studio in New York City that's going to be specifically for educating the public on molecular science, biology, viruses, et cetera. And now it's open. So welcome back to the program, Vincent. So back in September, we were dealing with the Delta variant. So now we're dealing with the Omniscary Omicron variant. And so if you could just give us an update on where we stand right now.
3: So this has been an interesting uh, pandemic. We've had a series of variants uh, emerging starting um, at the beginning of uh, 2021. And uh, now we went to Delta. We thought Delta was the end of the world, right? Well, some people did. I, we were always circumspect about it and said, just chill. You know, if you're vaccinated, you're going to be okay. And for Delta, it turned out if you were vaccinated, you were fine. You got infected, but you didn't get in the hospital. You didn't die for the most part. And when Omicron emerged, I thought, this is going to be the same situation. We're going to have people get infected and... um they're not going to end up in the hospital. And that's the way it's worked out. And now it's it's very good at infecting people because it has so many changes, uh, mainly in the spike protein, that it evades antibodies very well. And so, you know, your first line of defense, or I would say your second line of defense when you, when you inhale a virus, the antibodies in your nasal cavity can bind the virus and, and stop it. Well, Omicron is re- very good at getting around that. So it gets a hold in your nasal tract, and it reproduces for a while uh, before the T cells kick in. And those are the ones that keep you, most likely keep you out of the hospital. And so Omicron has been really good at ripping through populations that have been vaccinated. And of course, people who have not been vaccinated. Uh, And, uh, you know, this has been a confluence of events. Omicron arose, then we had the holidays, kids traveling, going back from college, all these Things getting people back together. And we were all uh, out and about more than we had been for the previous year and a half, right? We, a lot of us were going to restaurants and theaters and so forth. New York, fully open. Um, yeah, it seemed like we had turned a corner yeah. ex- uh, to yeah. some extent. Uh, and, the, um, and all of that allows people to get infected whether you're vaccinated or not. Um, and more importantly, we're doing way more testing than we did. So now we have home kits where people test. And so we're seeing a lot more confirmed infections, but I think it's a little artificial because we weren't testing as much before. We're only testing mainly people who got sick. So it seems like, you know, the the curve is huge. If you look at this wave, it's huge, bigger than all the others. And I think that's partly because we're testing more and partly because Omicron is really good at moving around and infecting people because it can evade immunity, as I say. But the bottom line is if you're vaccinated, and especially if you have a boost – a third dose or a second dose for J&J, you are protected pretty much in the 90th percentile from getting really sick, from going in the hospital, and from dying. So if we, in the U.S. now I'm talking, if we had 80, 90 percent of the population vaccinated, you and I wouldn't even have this conversation tonight. There'd be nothing going on. There'd be no hospitalizations, very little. Uh, you know, people be getting infected. You know, you get infected, you get a, get sniffles. I know dozens of people who who got infected over the holidays. Either they didn't know it or they had sniffles. So, Omicron is not a horrible thing. Um, there, There may be subsequent variants arising because there are a lot of people who are still susceptible because they're not vaccinated. We don't know how long this is going to last. I mean, my feeling is right now in the U.S., the pandemic should be over if we had vaccinated most of the country. But we haven't. So it continues.
2: Well, is um, herd immunity still going to be part of this where people are getting natural immunity? Because, you know, the unvaccinated have gotten the virus. Is that going to kind of help us get yeah, towards that sure. herd immunity you know, what, number? What the number okay. is, I'm
3: not sure. But basically, there will be herd immunity in the sense that if you're immune either from vaccination or recovering from infection, you are much less likely to transmit to someone else because the amount of virus you shed is lower and the number of days that you shed it are shorter. So compare a vaccinated with an unvaccinated person, the unvaccinated person will transmit way more than a vaccinated person. So that's where the herd immunity is going to kick in, because when you have enough people with that immunity, that will severely impede transmission in the population. But what that number is, we're not sure. Uh, It could be 80 percent or so. And yes, as the so what we have, 60 percent of the U.S. fully vaccinated. I don't know what percent have been infected and recovered, but there's still a lot of people out there Uh, that haven't been infected. And so until we get through them, we're not going to be at that point. But I I do think we will get to it eventually. But, you know, uh, for some period now, we've had, I think, a million new infections. Is is that globally? What's the U.S. number of new infections daily? Does anyone know? Is it half a million a day or something like that? It's a high number. I can't remember A lot of those are in vaccinated people. A lot of them are in unvaccinated. But half a million a day, even if it's all in – Unvaccinated people is still a lot of time to get through 100 million people. right? So,
2: There's a couple of things I wanted to uh, ask you about before I forget. And one is back on the other show, you were kind of holding out on the booster yes. shot. Yes, yes. And then something changed your mind on that. All
3: right. Yeah, let me tell you how uh, that works. So the boosters were sold by the U.S. initially as saying... Because, OK, you got vaccinated, but six months later, your antibody levels go down and you're going to get infected again. So we want to give you a booster. And that's just nonsense because antibodies always go down after you're vaccinated, after you're infected. They, that's the way it works. It's nothing new. And so, in fact, most vaccines work by preventing disease, not infection, because you don't have a lot of antibodies in your, in your nose to stop that initial infection. And I didn't buy that. I said, no, there's still – the protection against severe disease and hospitalization was still in the 90s despite this reduction of antibodies. So I didn't buy that at all. And then they changed the tune and they said, well, we think severe disease is going to increase. There was no evidence for that whatsoever, zero. But they said – you know, Tony Fauci said, we think severe disease is going to increase. Well, I don't do things because you think it's going to happen. I want to see the data. (laughs) <laughs> right so i still held that and then a few months ago a study came out of uh, ontario canada where they compared immunity and that just this is just as omicron had come out they took people who really good study who were vaccinated twice or three times and the first two doses the standard mrna dosing 3 to 4 weeks apart of dose 1 and 2 right And then they had some group, part of the group, where they had people uh, got a third dose six months later. And they took antibodies from those two sets of people. The antibodies from the two-dose people could barely block Omicron infection. And they still had high levels of antibodies in their blood. They were close to the second dose. But the people who got the booster handled Omicron completely – all the other variants it neutralized, the antibody, the serum from these people neutralized them. And it also neutralized SARS CoV 1 from 2003 and the common cold coronavirus. I mean, this third dose really, it, it, it told me that the two doses three to four weeks apart was a mistake. Too close. You didn't give the antibody system enough time to evolve and get broader. And the third dose fixes that. And that's what convinced me. Now, People still said, but you don't have any idea if it does any better with disease, and and I, and I we don't. In fact, there are plenty of people who have been dosed twice at the improper timing, and they're still protected against severe disease. So, I am not still sure that it's necessary. I got it because I like these data, and then two days later, Columbia said you have to have a third dose if you want to come on campus, right? So, and I'm I'm teaching, so I have to do that, but. I decided it was worth it. We had Paul Offit on a few weeks after that, and he said, you know, we I'm, I'm not convinced we need a, a booster dose uh, because the disease is still held in check, even with Omicron, which is really remarkable. And here we have Israel going to a fourth dose, which is absolutely crazy in my view. And today they said, you know, it doesn't work, actually.
1: <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned what's happening in Israel because they seem to be ahead of everyone in that respect. What should we think as just average news consumers when they start throwing around Israeli study this and the Israeli, you know, fourth dose, they were the first with a third dose. I don't know how to interpret, and it's almost a, a regular part of the COVID cadence mm-hmm. now, that the first studies are in Israel or Israel boosts first. How should we interpret them or... Can we take them
3: at face value? No, I don't think so. I think there have been a lot of errors in the Israeli data, right? And I've read the papers, and I frankly don't know where they're coming from. I don't get it. And some people I know, some scientists have said they're flawed statistical analyses in the paper. So I, I look at it this way. It's a small country, uh, a very different population from the rest of the world. What happens there doesn't necessarily apply to everywhere else. And I take it with a grain of salt. Whenever they decide to do something, they decided that a third dose was needed um, basically because they saw disease increasing in older people, which is possible because, uh, but we don't see that anywhere else. And so if you believe their data, then it's specific to that population, which may be older, more comorbidities or whatever. The fact is that If you're vaccinated and you get severely ill, you probably have something else going on, obesity, diabetes, and so forth. That's generally the trend. And so their their population may be biased in in that way. But I would be really careful about Israel, right? The fourth dose, again, they said, oh, no, older people, were seeing more disease. Nobody else is seeing that. And so—
2: Are we looking at that here in the U.S., Yeah, yeah, we
3: do. Uh, We do look at uh, it. And we're not seeing it. Nobody else is seeing that. I mean, the numbers are always different when you— go to different countries, but you have to be very careful. For example, when Omicron first came out in South Africa, they published hospitalization results, um, which suggested that there was less hospitalization, less uh, severe disease with Omicron. However, they did say in the the preprint, most of the people were vaccinated, okay? And that's what you expect (laughs) in a vaccinated person. You're gonna have less disease. Most of the people were younger. They were comparing the numbers to Delta, you know, six months earlier. Most of the people this time around were younger before they were older. So they're more likely to get sick. And there are all these differences in the population, which means that you cannot make a conclusion comparing Omicron to Delta from those data. And that's kind of the moral of the story is that what happens in one country is not necessarily going to happen because populations are different. People's behaviors are different. And uh, the press doesn't get it. These are nuances that the press doesn't get. And they just say, you know, Israeli says you need a fourth dose. And so everybody thinks you need that. So be very careful with, with Israeli data or extrapolating any single country to uh, the rest of the world.
1: So not just the Israeli data, but, but you know, like a single study should come with a, you know, like a, a caveat or maybe an asterisk. So if everything comes with that, How, who should we, who should, and I don't want to like speak for the average person because I'll just say, I'll just call them me. Who should we believe? (laughs) And when should we believe it? When is the, when is the consensus become, become a consensus that is then communicated out? Because that seems to be a big problem kind of across the board. Yeah.
3: So first of all, don't believe any study from a single country say, I want to see more data from other countries, always, but the press doesn't buy that, right? They take Israeli data and they run with it. So that's the first lesson. You want to see multiple studies. Um, a study, we did a couple of studies last week on Twiv, and uh, one of them was a Danish study, and they said, you know, these results are interesting, but it needs to be validated in other populations. That's exactly what you have to say. You don't say this is how it is. Other people need to find the same data.
0: Take this and extrapolate from it.
3: Now, how long will it take? You know what? It doesn't happen in a pandemic. All this stuff is complicated, and you never get the answers during a pandemic. But people want answers, right? We still don't understand why most of the variants behave the way they do. You You cannot find that out a week or two. After, so a week or two after Omicron arose, they were saying it's more transmissible and less virulent. I'm sorry. You just don't know that from observing cases uh, in the population. That's the sort of thing that requires a long-time long, uh, long time study, and it's not going to happen during this pandemic. We're not going to get answers to what's been going on for years because the studies take a long time. They have to be done slowly in laboratories. So what, what you see mainly – There are two kinds of studies. You see case numbers, right, where countries will say, okay, here's how many cases we had with this variant versus this variant versus hospitalizations, disease, and those are fraught with issues, as I've said, because it's not a controlled trial where you have two populations that you treat differently. This is an observation where you're looking at people who come to the hospital and say, what do they have? So it's always fraught with problems. That's one kind of study. And the other study is they take... Uh, serum from people who have either been infected or vaccinated and they see if it blocks virus infection. That is one thing the immune system does. It does a lot of other things. And so just because that activity goes down doesn't mean you're screwed. And the fact that we're still surviving vaccinated against Omicron proves that. It's not just what we call neutralizing antibodies that matter. Yet that's what people check because it's easy. The press picks up in it. Oh, well, the, the titers are going down. Oh, my gosh, we need another dose. They never tell you that that's the way it works. And so those two two kinds of uh, results are uh, – they give you a, a partial picture. But to find out how the whole thing is going on, how the variants work, why they – one displaces the other, we're not going to know for a long time. But, you know, the problem is we're in a pandemic where people want to know. You know, I think we have too much data. We release sequences. We release this and that. People don't know how to deal with it. The press doesn't know how to deal with it. The main thing is that the vaccines are working, and you should get vaccinated. And there's really nothing else. None of the variants have changed any other kind of behavior. They've caused countries to lock down. But now, if you have vaccines, you don't need to lock down anymore. There's no there's no need to change your behavior any longer, in my opinion. Unless you don't have vaccine, of course. And there are a lot of countries that still don't. Does that so include I- masks?
1: Per- personally,
3: I. The reason you're wearing a mask is to, pro- is to protect unvaccinated people, and I think that's a shame because they've made their choice, and I why, sh- why should I? I'm not wearing a mask to protect myself because I'll get a mild cold if I get infected. So we're wearing masks to protect unvaccinated people or kids under five who can't be vaccinated. That's fine. So if you're an elementary school teacher, even if you're triple vax, you should – wear masks to to protect the kids, but I would rather not wear masks anymore. I see no reason to do it in the U.S. where we have vaccines that work. There's no reason to wear a mask and also no reason to be testing like crazy. I mean, this U.S. now giving you free home tests. What the hell is that for? It should have been a year ago. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because what are you going to test? What are you going to do if you get sniffles, you test, oh, I'm COVID positive. What are you going to do? you Are going to stay home? Well, that's what the CDC suggests you do, but they don't. You don't have to. And why do you have to do that? Because you might be shedding, and you might infect an unvaccinated person. And I think we're this is a crazy situation to be in now, right? I don't. I do understand people's lives matter, but you could take a vaccine. It's not going to do anything untoward except prevent you from getting infected. We could end this pandemic.
2: So I think the only people that really should test, I think you talked about this on your podcast, would be you know people that are in constant contact with people that cannot be vaccinated, like mm-hmm. younger kids right, or elderly that might have some uh, yes. immune-compromised sure. people. Oh, yeah, or yeah. If you're right. living with yeah.
3: older people, immunocompromised young kids, yes, absolutely. I, I yep. do none of that, yeah. so uh, I i don't wear masks at home, but you know I have to get on the train and wear a mask, I have to get on the subway. I don't see many less than five-year-olds on the train and subway, <laughs> or or yeah. over eight, 90, yeah. and, and all the 90 plus are retired, so they're not... and the students, oh, that's, that drives me crazy, the university students, right? They have a little outbreak in December and they send them all home. This is, this is just ridiculous, all the students are fine. There's
1: nothing wrong with them.
2: Yeah, because they've been vaccinated, right? Totally, totally. It's required, yeah.
1: So that's also the argument for reopening public schools and not having distance learning. Absolutely. That's the scientific argument for it. If
3: we can vaccinate everyone in the school, they should be open for sure. And if, but that's, and, that's
2: the problem, though, yeah. is they're not vaccinated. They want their kids to go
0: to school, but they don't want the government to force them to be vaccinated, even though they've already <laughs> yeah, <no. laughs> given their vaccination records to the school in order to enroll their kid to begin yeah, with. it
3: doesn't make any sense, does it? All right, well, look, if you don't want to be forced, then make a decision on your own to get vaccinated, okay? Make your own decision because it's the right thing to do. So I, I just want to quickly
2: circle back to something that, that Jerry was kind of keying in on. So like with the the media when the Omicron was first coming out and they had, you know, this data coming in from South Africa, would it be possible for them to say there's this study that kind of points to this but we just don't know.
3: So they can't do that. They're incapable incapable. Of what hap- should have happened is whoever communicated the data to them you know, or they call people and say tell me what you think about these data. They call so-called experts, right? Mm-hmm. The experts should have put the caveats on, but they don't. They say, oh, yeah, it looks less virulent. It's great. And then the press runs with it because they can't – they cannot tell if the person is giving them the whole story or not. And that's part of the problem with how this information is disseminated.
0: But aren't, to some extent, experts that give a lot of caveats not called back often for follow-ups on, on other stories if you're not giving them the juicy
3: quote? Yeah, No. No, I was on CNN in February 2020, and I didn't bullshit them, and they never had me back.
0: Because <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I, didn't, I didn't say
3: gloom and doom, you know. I, I gave them facts, and it wasn't good enough. And so you're right. If you don't, if you don't hype it, you're not coming back. And, and they tend to talk to the same people. I call them pundits, right? Because it's the same people you hear over and over. They're not, for the most part, they're not virologists. They don't know what they're talking about. And they get it wrong. And they're out of their fields, but for some reason they like the attention. And uh, that's who the press goes
1: to. Oh, name names. <laughs> I want to know. I want to know who these people are. So, so but uh, again, I'm an average news mm-hmm. consumer. And I have my own probably personal rating of somebody I believe versus somebody that I'm like giving the side eye to. Putting what they say through, a, through an extra filter. Who should we believe? And I'm not, and, and I'm, and I'm kidding about about naming names. But when somebody is on there and they're a doctor and they're either an epidemiologist or they're an infectious disease expert, how do you do like the average news consumer handbook on what to believe? Because it's not just what to believe; it's what actions you're going to take based on that information.
3: It's hard because these people are put forward as experts, right? And so you believe them. We have an expert in epidemiology. We have an expert in infectious diseases. And maybe they are, maybe they're not. Who knows, right? I I talked to a Danish reporter last week, and he said, you know, you're contradicting what one of our experts is saying. I said, well, that's the way science works. But why do you use the expert? hard? Why do you say, why am I not an expert? And so you have two experts who who disagree. That's fine. That's the way science works. But that's hard for the public to sort out. So what do you do? It's really hard because the press is not helping you at all. You could be a picky consumer and, you know, look at the data yourself and decide. But that's hard to do for most people. I mean, that's why we do a lot of communicating. I do a week, three podcasts a week to deal with this COVID thing. And Daniel Griffin, the clinical update is less than an hour. I think that's pretty accessible to most people, uh, and I would say listen to that. I mean, it only gets fifty, sixty thousand listens per episode. What the hell's going on there, folks? You you want you mm-hmm. want your information? Listen to the sort. Now, Daniel Griffin's treating patients, and he knows. And I'm next to him, and if he says something I don't like, I call him out, <laughs> and so. And I do TWIV twice a week and so forth. But I understand that's not accessible to to a lot of people. So there's no good answer. I can't tell you what to do. But I would say to stay away from social media because they they botch the whole thing up, Twitter and Facebook and whatever else. Uh, The pundits go there. And, and for example, there's a famous cardiologist who's on Twitter who makes proclamations. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He's for your heart. He's not for infectious diseases, for God's sakes. So – You have to look at the source and understand that an epidemiologist, yeah, they can tell you how many infections there are, the rate of spread and so forth, but they cannot tell you about the properties of a virus. I don't care what they tell you. They can't tell you if it's transmitting more. They can't tell you if it's virulent or less virulent. That's what virologists do. So make sure that a virologist is talking if they're saying things about the virus.
2: So, like an example of that would be uh, Scott Gottlieb, who's on every week on Face the Nation, and he, he makes other yeah. shows too, um, but he was on this last Sunday, and you know he's he's at least open and honest that he's on the board of <laughs> Pfizer, but but but
1: he's but he's That's saying, a requirement, by the way, yeah well, yeah
2: yeah little yeah I think he says it under his breath, but no, um, but anyway, so he's saying that Pfizer's working on an Omicron specific vaccine that will be due out in march i mean first of all you know i'd like your opinion on on uh, variant specific vaccines but isn't that a little late anyway (laughs) Well, just in time for christmas
3: well we've had vaccines after each variant that the companies they can make them quickly and they can test them but we haven't rolled them out because you don't need them the vaccines we have protect you against severe disease That's what they were designed to do, and they're still doing that. So what do you need a new one for? I'll tell you what would happen. If you put out an Omicron vaccine, you'd then get variants that evade that vaccine, and you'd start all over. You'd have a whole series of variants that change in response to that vaccine. So there's absolutely no point uh, in doing that. Pfizer is just loving the money it's making off of this uh, pandemic, and it wants to keep making more. Uh, I think that that is just a ridiculous idea to do. And last, the only situation where I would agree is if you see the disease, severe disease and deaths in the fully vaccinated people start to rise. And it has not done that so far, even through Omicron. But if that started to rise, then I would say, okay, let's think about what we can do. And maybe a vaccine would would be the situation. But I think it is not called for, just as I didn't think a booster was called for. I see no data to support the use of a variant-specific vaccine.
1: Because the data, if it is still being tabulated or the book right now of data is enough to say, we're not going to need it? No,
3: we have the data so far up to today. We know that people are still protected by the vaccine. And introducing a variant, an Omicron vaccine, then you'll get variants resistant to that. You'll be at the same place you were before, and we'll have far less experience with this new vaccine. So right now, we have a lot of people with three doses of uh, the ancestral vaccine. We've studied their responses for almost two years now. We have a lot of understanding of it. You'd have to start all over with Omicron. There's absolutely no indication today, as I'm talking, that you need an Omicron-specific vaccine. Now, it's fine for Pfizer to be ready if they want.
2: But to have him on introducing to say this is coming out. Yeah, he has out, no or, idea. You know, he would like it to up, come
3: out because yeah. he's getting paid by them. But there's no... I would never say that. I would say it's really easy to make variant-specific vaccines if we need them. Who cares if Moderna and Pfizer and everyone else has them already ready to go? I think that... Sends the wrong message that we're not controlling the pandemic with our current vaccines. There's zero evidence that the current vaccines are not working.
2: Well, and plus, um, what's what's the rate of people that are boosted now? I, last I thought it was like 30 percent. is kind of relatively low compared to the double dose. Maybe it's gone the up. Number of the number of people who in the
3: U.S. who are boosted.
2: Yeah, yeah.
3: Don't recall, but it's easy enough to find.
2: But I mean that's. I, I knew it was quite a bit lower than I was hoping for, you know, because if that's the way to protect yourself against Omicron, you'd think everybody'd be rushing out to Yeah to get it.
0: I'm glad to see that Dr. Vincent is taking to live Googling like an old regular on the show. He he
3: does three <laughs> podcasts a week. No, it's a so. sure it's know, a good yeah. way to to get as long as you know where you're um where you're getting your data from where
2: to get the real data. That
0: that's a running segment on this show, live googling.
2: Yeah, you're not going to JoeRogan.com to get it, are you?
3: Yeah, another ass, I'm telling you. <laughs> yeah. uh, he he could have had me on his show, but he's not, he's not interested in the truth. He wants to have sensationalism.
2: Oh, he's got that.
3: So, let's see. Looks like about 20 to 30 percent have got three doses in the U.S. and Canada. Yeah.
2: Yeah. See, that sucks. Yeah. That's, that's not. And how long has that been available?
3: At least a couple of months, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's the same thing like with child vaccinations, that the rate of, uh, what is it, 12 to 18-year-olds is only, is it's like 48%. Kids 5 yeah. to 11 is maybe 20, 25%. I, I just don't, I don't get it.
3: Yeah, 76% in the U.S. have one dose and uh, at least one dose and 60-some percent have two. But you know, but yeah, the fact Georgia, that we have a lot of people worse. with just two doses is useful because we can look at them and see how they fare compared to people with three doses, and it may turn out that they're just as protected as I, I, those uh, data are going to be very interesting, right? What's
0: the chances of a variant coming down the pike that is defiant to the vaccine?
3: Pretty low, I think, because so Omicron now completely evades your antibodies almost completely, right? You mix serum from a vaccinated person with Omicron, the virus is fine. It doesn't get neutralized very a little bit, but not much. However, that's only one measurement of immunity, right? There are a lot of other things which we don't measure because they're hard to measure. And one of them is T cells, of course, which kill infected cells. And I had a guy on Swift today who was talking about this. Through all the variants, the T-cells recognize parts of the spike just like antibodies recognize parts of the spike. And the problem with variants is that those parts of the spike change and the antibodies don't work anymore. <clears throat> the T-cell parts don't change so the T-cells can still work and they haven't changed for any of the variants. And if they have changed, it didn't matter. The T-cells don't care. They shrug. So I think and we—that's a lot of variants we've had so far. I think it's unlikely that they will ever escape T cells, and I suspect those are what are giving us those ninety percent protection against uh, severe disease. So, no, I don't think uh, we will have a, a variant that evades uh, vaccines. No.
2: So, on on T cells, at what point do you think that those might subside enough? I don't want to use the word wane. Um, subside enough to where you might need some kind of a booster. I guess that's that's kind of predicated on the fact that you're not going to encounter the variant to get a like a natural boost from time to time. But I mean, is there a point where the T cells aren't going so, to be up So the that's task? a good
3: point because we're going to get infected every year. Yeah, we've all probably been infected and didn't even know it. Um, and as we go back with our masks and, and all the other stuff, you're going to get infected more often. So you're going to get little boosts. But if we didn't, let's say we didn't, Uh, The T-cell memory is not going to last forever because this, in general, respiratory viruses don't give you great long-lasting immunity. The kinds of viruses that give you really good immunity, 40, 50 years, smallpox. Smallpox, one vaccine, you were protected for your life. Or if you happened to get smallpox and recovered, you never got it again. Same with polio. So these viruses caused the blood phase. They were in the blood polio, smallpox, measles, yellow fever, those vaccines give you 40, 50 years of protection. And the, the respiratory viruses, flu and, and uh, SARS-CoV-2, they don't. And so in the absence of boosting, maybe you'd be lucky to get five to 10 years of memory, B cells and T cells out of it, I would guess. But I think we're going to be boosted all the time by these little, you're going to get a little sniffles and there. That's your boost for this year. And that's the way it's going to work. Yeah.
2: So because people are talking about that, about where this becomes like a cold-like virus. But that's not due to the, to the virus itself uh, mutating itself out of that's existence. Right. It's that our constant contact with it and, and the immunity that we have mm-hmm. keeps it tamped so, down. So is that, am I understanding that see, right? You see, in
3: vaccinated people, the disease is mild, right? So the, as soon as you get immunity... As soon as most of the world gets some kind of immunity to this virus, then most of the infections will be mild. Not all of them, but most, over 90%. And then it be, then it's a common cold. I see a lot of people now who are fully vaccinated. They get the sniffles. They test positive. Yeah, that's it. You got a common cold. And that's the way. the vi- The virus is not going to change. It is simply going to encounter a fully immune population, different from when. It first entered humans. Nobody was immune, right? But but it's, we, we call it a yeah. common cold corona because those viruses, there are four common cold coronas that circulate all the time. When you're a kid, you get them in your first year of life. And, you know, kids don't do too badly with coronavirus infections. And if they get the infection in the first six months, they have some antibodies from their mother that protects them. And then they're immune and then they get infected every year and they build up immunity. So by the time they're 80, 90 years old, Those kinds of infections don't do anything, and the problem with this virus is that it came into a population where nobody was immune, so the older people got wiped out, and that's not going to happen. We're going to have everybody immune or almost everyone, and that's why the disease will be mild. So the mild disease you see now in vaccinated people, recovered people—that's the norm for the future. The virus is not going to change; it's not going to become less virulent. It's it's our immunity that. We'll we'll take care of it because we see that with the common cold coronavirus. Now, those common cold coronas were were, uh, zoonotic infections. They came from some animal at some point hundreds of years ago. And I bet when they first came over into people, they caused a lot of disease. But we don't have any records.
2: My other concern, I don't know if I'd call it that or not, is like we're starting to see This virus in the um, animal population, you know, like like the study in, was it Iowa, where they found all these deer with it. So could that be potentially problematic for humans at some point? Or, again, are we going to be protected? It
3: depends. If it's a similar virus, we should be protected, right? So deer and mice, which are quite numerous, probably infected, and who knows what else, so the issue is that it could change in those animals in such a way that when it got back into people, maybe it wouldn't uh, be controlled as well by our T cells, for example. I think it's unlikely, but we have to monitor it. Okay, we don't do enough of that. We don't have to. We sam- We need to sample wildlife and say, okay, what SARS-CoV-2 is in them, and can our antibodies and T cells handle it? So we need to do that to know because if you found some that for some random reason uh, developed in animals that evaded all our immunity, I think it's unlikely. But you have to make sure, so you have to sample. We don't do enough sampling.
2: So who funds those kind of studies? Then is that all done by universities or no?
3: The universities. Uh, <laughs> They don't want to pay for anything, for God's sake. They want the NIH. <laughs> <laughs> I've spent my whole career in a university, and if I didn't raise my own salary, I'd be booted out, plus the money for doing research. So you, the, those kind of wildlife studies are usually the Department of Agriculture. The um, Yeah, the Department of Agriculture. Public, uh, NIH doesn't support sampling of deer and mice unless you – Pose it as a threat to humans. They could, but right now, uh, Department of Agriculture, maybe the Army would. The military would probably do it because they would consider it a threat to uh, their their troops and so forth. But not much NIH at the moment. But I mean, that brings us to the problem that we have very sparse research money in the U.S. I mean, our our the NIH budget is thirty five billion a year, which is nothing. It's peanuts for the kind of return that we've got on that over the years. And it really needs to be over a
1: hundred billion
3: because a lot
1: of things that need to be done that aren't being done. So a lot of that is a, that comes back to a policy question then. And is that one of the, one of the reasons, one of maybe the many reasons that, that uh, Dr. Fauci is, is been basically turned into a villain by the probably a variety of forces.
3: So Fauci is not supposed to be running the pandemic response. That's the job of CDC. But if you remember in the last administration, the director of CDC, Redfield, he was basically castrated uh, by the administration. So he couldn't do anything. So Fauci stepped forward. Um, But that's not his job. He's head of a division of NIH. He's not supposed to be. Now now Biden made him some, some specific title, right?
0: COVID czar.
3: The COVIDs are the nation's uh, infectious disease physician, whatever. But that's not his job description. And he's, the CDC is supposed to make policy. And so now it's too late. And now we have the CDC b- bungling left and right, unfortunately, making uh, poor decisions. And so that's why Fauci is, gets a lot of heat because he's he's apparently at the helm, right? He's kind of the face yeah, on it. He's the face. The public absolutely. face. And, you know, he's done a reasonably good job, but he's made mistakes. The, the, the thing about making a mistake is if you admit it, people immediately forgive you. And they say, oh, you're uh-huh. human. You admitted it. But if you don't, if you dig in, then they think you're a jerk. And, and that's actually a reasonable approach. Um, so there's I, I, the, the best thing you can do if you make a mistake when you find out is to say, uh, yeah, I blew it. Sorry. It was supposed to be this. And the CDC
1: and Fauci never do that they never do it are
3: are you allowed
1: to do that
0: though some politicians never do that
1: aren't mistakes weaponized pretty much across the board though and I, I understand what you're saying and it makes sense and it is work for a long time but if you make a mistake they've never really came clean about the mask yeah that's right that's right mistake. they never did yeah. i think
3: i think if they had come clean and say we screwed up that people would have said okay but they dug in and People said, "Well, screw it! I'm not going to do this." They were wrong, and Fauci made mistakes about gain of function research, and much later admitted it. So, the problem is, if the press gets you, then yes, you're going to be vilified, even if you say you made afterwards, because if someone else discovers your mistake, then it's too late to admit it.
0: But that was that particular administration's entire MO was to double down and, and triple down on everything and and never right. get, you know, give an inch.
3: Yeah, they want they never well, to
0: control the yeah.
3: narrative and and uh, you know, say there's no pandemic, it's not a problem, we don't need to test and so forth. Just make it go away because it didn't fit their agenda. But you know, public health public health is always politicized, but unfortunately, it's people's lives at stake, so they shouldn't do that and they'll never learn because
1: it's a powerful force, right? So should we talk about quote, getting back to normal or is getting back to the way it was not a realistic goal and should accept a new normal and stop pining for something that's not coming back?
3: Oh, no, there's no reason why we can't be the way we were. There's no, The problem is that people have been scarred, right, in many ways, and so they'll never be normal again. People have lost their jobs. They've lost their money. They've lost their homes. They psychologically scarred in many ways. Right. So lost lost a lot of loved ones. Yeah. So you can't change that. But, you know, if you're talking about going to football games and tailgating and going to bars and yeah, of course you can do that. And I would argue we should start doing that now in the U.S. because I really do think this pandemic should be over in the U.S. uh, because we have the vaccines to do it and it will happen. But if, if we still have recalcitrant people, it's going to take longer. We ha- we're going to have to have the virus go through in multiple waves and, and uh, immunize them. And
1: Recalcitrant, vaccine yeah. people from getting vaccinated. Yeah, people who don't want to be
3: vaccinated. They're, they're driving this pandemic mainly in the U.S. And, and other countries who have vaccines, plenty of vaccines, and they can't get everybody vaccinated. So as soon as we get that done, we're not going to get them vaccinated, but they're going to get infected and then... Yeah, we can go back to normal. I have zero doubt that we can go back to normal. One
0: question for you. If we've all at some point caught it and got the sniffles or whatever because we've been vaccinated, haven't the unvaccinated either caught it at this point and died or caught it and survived and some level of a a natural immunity at this
3: point? No, not enough because most of the people who are hospitalized uh, every day in the U.S. are unvaccinated. So there's still plenty of them to uh, drive this outbreak and uh, so you're right that should be but we're not there yet because there are a lot of people. I mean are they are they
0: hermits living in the woods or are they like the Glenn Beck types that are? this is the second time that
3: they've caught COVID? Well I, I do it, think there know. are many rural populations that are rather isolated that haven't uh, yeah for oh, okay. sure but look there's uh, 24% of the U.S. is unvaccinated a quarter of 300 million people, right? It's a lot. It's a lot of people. And they they tend to be in clusters. So um, yeah, they're, they're still – whenever you see the numbers, hospitalizations, 2000, 2,000 a day in New York City, most all unvaccinated pretty much. So there's plenty of people to go through yet, unfortunately
2: one of the things I was kind of thinking about, too, is, you know, like with the recent college bowl games and all that, that drew crowds from rural areas coming into the city. So the ones that might have been kind of isolated come into close contact and then bring that back to their community. So I can kind of see where you're going to have pockets that explode for quite some time yet. Yeah.
3: I mean, a lot of the people who end up in a hospital may have gone to one of those games, right? And they were never infected before. Mm -hmm. They got infected. So we have... um, In the U.S., 800,000 new infections every day for January 14th, 800,000. But let's say there's 100 million people not infected. It's going to take 100 days to get through that. And it's not, you know, it doesn't happen automatically. And uh, daily average hospitalization, 157,000, mostly unvaccinated people. 90, 95 percent. 2,000
1: deaths a day. There are policy implications with the hospitalization because those are finite resources. Sure. And the people in them are absolutely finite resources that certainly sound like they have burned the candle on multiple ends. So can we realistically pass policies to either force vaccinations or not ostracize the non-vaccinated, but they can't really resume regular life. Is that even feasible?
3: So what you're pointing out is a really important problem is that the hospitals are overburdened and people have other issues that need to be taken care of in hospitals. And they can't because the staff is overwhelmed and so forth. And this is what unvaccinated people are doing. They're screwing up the healthcare system. And to a certain extent, that's why, we're still masking because we don't want – we not only want to protect the unvaccinated, but we want to protect the healthcare care system uh, from crashing. Um, so what do you do about that? I don't think you can mandate. I mean, the, the Supreme Court just said you can't force people in large companies to uh, be vaccinated, right? Um, so I don't think that's going to work, at least in the U.S., right? Other countries, you go to jail if you don't <laughs> – If you don't get vaccinated, but not the U.S. Yeah. Who was
0: it? Citigroup uh, had announced that all their employees who were unvaccinated were going on leave of absence as of the 14th of this month and would be terminated on the 31st. Oh,
3: so it's a private company. They can do what they want. Right. You know, you can tell people don't come in my house if you're not vaccinated. That's fine. But I don't know ostracizing people. I don't think we want to... I I, I just have no idea. I'm, no idea about that.
1: So a vaccine passport is not something that you think would... Let's say it can get It could get actually implemented. And vaccine passport may not be the right way to say it. But basically, to prove your vaccination status, to quote, participate, would yeah. that actually well, work if we could it do we it? We do
3: that in New York. If you want to go to a restaurant or a theater. So over the holidays, I went to Restaurants and theaters. You had to show an app with your ID and your vaccination proof. I have no problem with that. Everybody was whipped. They want to do things. And so the theaters were full. The restaurants were full. You know, I think that's perfectly reasonable for a restaurant to say, we want you to do this. And... At least you can feel somewhat comfortable in that situation, knowing that you, like everybody else, is is vaccinated. Yeah. I mean, I don't even care if there were people that are not because it's not going to affect me. It's going to affect them. But yes. But people did not object in any time. In fact, I took my colleague to lunch a couple of weeks ago in New York and she forgot her and we couldn't go to lunch. We had to leave and come back the next week. And I didn't push it. I didn't push it. The, the girl at the counter said, I'm sorry, I can't do anything. I said, I understand. We'll come back next week. So I think they can work. And um, But these are private establishments, theaters, restaurants. I don't know about hospitals, public schools, and so forth. There it becomes a thorny, more of a thorny issue, although schools do require vaccinations for getting in, right? <laughs> yeah, why would it be a thorny issue? What happened to public health? I totally agree with you, but people sue. As soon as Biden well, made his, I, uh, his edict, they sued and went to the Supreme Court with it, right?
2: Well, I was going to say, too, on on day one of the new Virginia governor going in, he signed an executive order to eliminate any kind of uh, vaccine or mask requirement mm-hmm. for public schools. Yeah. So, Same you thing know. in
3: Texas. This is because people will vote for them when they have this stance. I don't think they actually believe that it's the right thing to do, but they know it will get them elected. And that's a shame. And so people are driving this. It's highly unfortunate. Um, If it were up to me, I'd make everyone get vaccinated. But I can't do that. Um, And nobody else seems to be able to do it as well. But it's really sad. That's the solution to this pandemic, folks, if you don't like it. So
2: I had a few questions, but Jerry, did you have or Don? add kind of a list of questions, just a few because no. I know we're coming up on an hour yeah. now too yeah so. do a
1: rapid fire <laughs> yeah are there are there rapid fire virology questions? <laughs>
3: <laughs> we will find out. We do rapid fire on my my uh, live podcast on my live stream every Wednesday night um, I, I just I get probably thousands of questions. I can't answer them all so I try and go through them as much as I can as fast as I can.
2: Yeah, I was going to say that is a really good resource, your Q&A with V&A, Wednesday night, 8 p.m. Eastern on yeah, YouTube. I
3: encourage people to come because uh, we'll answer your questions. Um, we've had over a 1,000 people the last two sessions, and everybody has pretty good questions for the most part. So uh, that's, you know, and I think people come because they want to hear from virologists, right? They want to hear yep. about the answers, and we're happy to do that. Yep. Sometimes I go two and a half hours. I wish I could go more, but it, uh, I have moderators. I don't want to keep them around.
2: Well, so one, one question that I just got handed to me, I just found out tonight, is my wife's dad's wife just got COVID. She's in her late 70s, early 80s. They're both fully vaxxed and boosted. Now, he hasn't shown any symptoms. and She's just like like tired, I think runny nose kind of thing. But should they be sleeping separately at this point, if and you know, masking when they're in common areas, or what do you what do you think about?
3: No, I think they're they're. I don't think they need to sleep apart. I think they're, they're all facts They have no other comorbidities. They're healthy, right?
2: Yeah, they're they're in fairly good shape. Yeah.
3: I mean, the only thing that it depends who's treating you, but Daniel Griffin might say, okay, if you're over seventy, we're gonna, we're going to give you monoclonals, right, to make sure that. This doesn't progress. You have to do those early on. You can't wait till things get worse, right?
2: So that's what I was kind of wondering about because we just found out about this. So that might be a thing for her to ask her doctor yeah. about, hey, can I?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Or doc... the
2: antiviral. Are, are those? Yeah. Those aren't really widely available yet, though, are um, they?
3: Supposedly they are. And um, if it's five days from diagnosis or symptom onset, you could do that as well, yeah. Could ask. So either the, either the monoclonals uh, or the monoclonals.
2: Yeah. Okay, so that'd still be a good idea at that. So I think that age, over a certain age, as a yeah, as
3: a precaution over a certain age. I suspect they'll be fine. The numbers say they'll be yeah. fine, but especially since they're healthy. As I said, if you had a comorbidity, even fully vaxxed, and you get infected, you have to be careful. You probably want to treat them for sure because those are the majority of yeah. people that get sick. Yeah.
2: Yeah, because her mom and uh, and her husband both got covid too but they just had the very mild symptoms and you know it never yeah. progressed anything and they're they're over it now so
1: oh, uh, and
2: and she definitely had comorbidities but she was still fine good. yeah okay somebody else got a
1: no it's your rapid fire time jeff no oh,
2: geez another question and i kind of know the answer to this is can children be safe without masks who are unvaxxed in, in a school setting is because again this is for my wife who's in middle school teacher, my, my assumption is not such a good idea. No,
3: no I, it's not a good idea not to wear masks. And people say, oh, you know, it, it stresses the kids out. Well, it stresses them more if they go to the hospital. Okay. So you should wear a mask, because even though kids are less likely to get severe disease, they can, and they can die as well. And, you know, I think 700 kids in the US have died. It's not a lot, but if it's your kid, if it's your kid. It's a lot, yeah. right? Yeah. It doesn't matter what, this, what the right. odds are. Yep. That's it's right. it's yours. And
2: then her other question was, how concerned should parents be of the under five? Because they're still not able to get a vaccine. It sounds like that's kind of be putting off until uh, at least spring or early summer of this year. They had to kind of rework some of the yeah, So
3: if you have under five doses. kids, you have to be careful. So if you're out mm-hmm. working every day, then you might want to consider masking at home just to protect them because they're vulnerable. They're the main vulnerable population now, right? Um, Yeah.
2: Now, we have a a grandchild um, that's not quite a year and a half. He's still breastfeeding, although, you know, he's starting to want to move away from that on his own. So he has some protection from that. But once he stops breastfeeding, does some of that protection he's had, either antibodies or or T-cells from breastfeeding, does that start to – Diminish. Yeah,
3: it lasts about 6 months though. So you're 6 months, 6 okay. months time. But I would say you you could use testing as a way to protect uh, under 5-year-olds as well, right? So parents in a household right. test frequently and then if you're positive, uh, you know, isolate from the kid and that may be a way to judge your risk better.
2: Okay. So hopefully they'll come out with something for the under 5s sooner rather than later.
3: No, that's a priority. I agree.
2: Yeah, for
1: sure. Are we going to need another booster shot this year? No, this is it.
3: In my opinion, uh, I don't see the data uh, saying we need another booster,
1: no. And and if the data actually supports that, will the mechanism to get shots in people's arms be alongside of it or will it be behind by a little bit?
3: But I don't know what you mean by that.
1: Whenever the... The preponderance of data says you need a, we need a right. booster shot. Mm-hmm. There's still got to be a you know like all the talk of supply chains. Sure, sure. You okay. still have you have yeah, to yeah, have yeah. the actual vaccines. How long is there a latency period between? Yes, we do need the the booster shot. They will be available in X weeks. Yeah. So you need to be careful for that time. Yeah,
3: there, there was a bit of a lag for the first bo- boost, but um, I think it was a couple of months. Between when I first heard rumblings and then they said it was for everybody, and that was probably a supply chain thing. So I suspect they have learned something. We have a lot of vaccine in this country. We have way more than we need. So it's not a problem to have it. It's just a matter of, you know, you have to have places where people can go and get it. And I think uh, there will be a lag, but shouldn't be uh, a big problem, I think.
2: Yeah, because w- when I got my booster, it was kind of challenging trying to find a place that had it in inventory. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's not that it wasn't around, but I had to travel a little bit further than I normally did to get my booster shot. So I used to get, but I it used, was it was I available. To get,
3: I got texts almost every day from December first on in New Jersey. We have boosters here and there every day, a different location, right? Mm-hmm. I ended up getting it at Columbia, which was very easy.
1: Yeah, when when Columbia makes a decision on vaccines, do they ask the virologists that are on staff? <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's shaking his head no, no folks.
3: <laughs> no, sorry, sorry. sorry. I forgot when everybody I else does. this is audio only. No, they do not ask. <laughs> they have never asked me a single thing. I actually meet with the safety committee every four months and give them an update. But they remind me they have no decision making power. They just want to know for their own information. Um, I have disagreed with many of the policies of the university. I think they are pro. They probably have a lot of lawyers on their committee who are just advising them about liability, right? Um, yeah. But for example, right now, so our spring semester starts tomorrow. They have decided the first two weeks of class will be online, which to me makes zero sense. And they say, oh it's to allow students to travel back from home maybe they have travel restrictions if they test positive and so forth i i just it's it's silly it's silly in my in my view to do that uh, but they didn't ask me no so they never asked me and um in fact i don't know if there's any virologist on the committee that's advising them and i i complained wow. at the beginning i mean the provost made some dumb dumb statements in the very beginning and i wrote to him And he never answered, right? And then when he wrote to me earlier when he needed something, I answered right away. But then when I say to him, look, you shouldn't do this or that or the other, no answer. So it's unfortunate because I've been doing virology for 40 years. I don't know everything, but I know some things. And, you know, if you got one of these guys or gals at your place, you should have talked to them at least. Yeah. Not everybody
0: has one of you. Right, right. (laughs) Just, just lay it around to, you know, to pick their brain every now and again. but And, and they do. They don't use that as a resource. That's, that's pretty sad.
1: The whole idea of a safety committee just reminds me of a far side comic, though. <laughs> like, you know, people in the safety committee about to burn themselves with hot coffee or something. <laughs> yes, um, right, right.
0: Or, or like the, the people on the party planning committee are absolutely people that you would never invite if you that's were having right. a party.
2: Yeah, right. there you go.
1: There you go. Well, that... You've been generous with your time. I think that probably wraps up what questions we had. I mean, we don't want to, we don't want to keep you forever unless Jeff is checking his notes. I'm checking Come my with, notes. many so more rapid fires? <laughs>
3: <laughs> no, I've decided this is what I'm. I'm I should do. It's the best uh, use of my time. Who? I mean, as we were just saying, I have expertise that very few people have, and I'm happy to share it. I don't have a problem.
0: You know, actually, one thing that we could talk about—we talked about it briefly before we started recording—but we we mentioned it early on, and when we first had you on, was your new studio and your incubator mm-hmm. and 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 all that. Uh, you were just getting that up and going when we talked to you a
3: couple months ago. So,
0: where, where are you at on that oh, now? Oh,
3: cool. Yeah. So we uh, leased this recording studio, office space in Manhattan, and we call it the incubator, uh, and. I have been work. I've been spending most of my days there uh, since I don't even know for a couple of months now. I go to Columbia twice a week, I think. Um, I set, I set it up to record audio and video and um, uh, we it's a beautiful space. We have a little office area and then the recording space. So I do all my podcasts there. I, I taught a live stream virology course there last semester. I'm going to start teaching my virology course for these two weeks now. Uh, from there as well so it's it's really great i mean it's still a work in progress um, and um, but i'm having a blast and i hope to do more i want to en- engage more people and do do more productions and so forth and have it a real i want it to become a center for science education uh, eventually that and, and that lives beyond me and and a couple of months ago we got um, tax exempt status from the IRS 501c3 so now People's nice. donations are uh, tax deductible. So uh, I'm having a blast. And then two or three weeks ago, I bought a painting called Ebola, <laughs> which <laughs> the, was done by an artist. It's an oil and acrylic painting. And he came and installed it. It's like eight feet by six feet. And it's wow. we oh, have wow. a wall that was perfect for it. So uh, if you go over to my Instagram feed, uh, you'll see a picture of it. And it's, it makes the space – uh, look, I ran into this artist at a museum in New York, right? And yeah, somehow I told mm-hmm. him I was a virologist. And so he pulled out his phone. and he said, oh, I did this painting in 1996 of Ebola virus. And it's the wow. it's the iconic wow. picture of Ebola virus that everybody knows about. And the painting is gorgeous. And so I, I decided to buy it. And he came and installed it. He said, this is the perfect home for it, a recording studio you know, <laughs> of science. But the, the electron micrograph... Was taken years ago by Fred Murphy, a virologist. I think he was at the CDC at the time. And I, we did a TWIV with him uh, in February of 2020 uh, in Bethesda. And he talked about the day he took that picture. So we sent him a picture of the painting and he just went crazy. He said, Oh my gosh, I can't believe oh, wow. this is a painting of this.
2: <laughs> so are, are viruses really multicolored, like pink and purple no, and not. green? They're or is Not that... at all. Okay. <laughs> right, they're too small to
3: have any, any color. Any color. Yeah.
2: Why do, why do they give them color? Is that well, just for fun?
3: People like, uh, well, I mean, if like the, the virus behind you, you have the spike a different color so you can distinguish it from the membrane. And then there's some other embedded proteins there in, in yellow. I, I have one here that I know this is audio only, but. Uh, well, we'll enjoy it. Yeah. So this is a 3D printed coronavirus, uh, which wow, oh, wow. someone sent to me. And you can see the spike. Uh, and there's a, this is, this yellow thing is an antibody, and of course the the membrane ah. is gray. And then it's it's cut in half, so you can see they put some RNA inside of it. Right? Oh wow! Jeez. I mean the three D. 3D... It looks
1: like a Mr. Potato Head. It does, <laughs> you does yeah. pull it's things a, out. Uh, <laughs> Mr. Virus Head.
2: Now is that a male or a female Mr. Potato Head? No. <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah. And then but this one. Uh, yeah. this is my virus this is polio virus, which. Uh, is it's uh, bound to its receptor, so the receptors are all in in blue, and the virus is in uh, magenta. I think this one actually opens up. Yeah, so you can see you can open it to see the inside. It's got the huh, wow. put some magnets in to hold it together, but this would be filled with RNA, so it's a nice teaching tool, right? And I'm gonna I'm gonna eventually bring all these to the incubator so I can have them behind me. Uh, and
2: you did some work on the polio virus years yeah, ago, so too, I right? Yeah, so I spent
3: my career working on this virus for sure. Um, wow! Al- almost all of my career. It's almost eradicated now, so we don't do much. But that's why I decided to have the model made because I spent. That's a question.
2: That's that's a question I have yeah. for you then. So. Because of the anti-vax status in this country – yeah, let's, let's end on a high note here um, – <laughs> what, what uh, diseases or viruses do you see that might make a comeback if people stop getting their childhood vaccinations like they're supposed to?
3: Well, uh, measles has made comebacks already, right? There are pockets of people who refuse the measles vaccine, not just in the U.S., but in many other countries, and we have outbreaks this, this uh, infection is completely vaccine-preventable, um, and it can cause severe disease. It can kill kids. It can cause them to have encephalitis, uh, brain infections. And so people parents are just stupid. They think it's it's dangerous, and it's not, the vaccine, and they instead risk their kids getting a, a severe illness. So that is a good example of what happens when you choose not to vaccinate. Um now we're on the verge of eradicating uh, polio, so hopefully, uh, once that's done, there it won't be, we'll stop vaccinating, so that won't be an issue anymore. Smallpox was eradicated in 1979, and we stopped vaccinating not too long after that, and that has not come back, which is which is really good. So, but the problem is, as long as there's some virus, and there's still some virus in many parts of the world that don't vaccinate. Um, it's a threat to countries that that stop. So in, in New York City, we had a pocket of uh, people in in the north of the city uh, who decided not to vaccinate their kids, and there was an outbreak, of course. So um, I think those I think measles, uh, measles, mumps, rubella vaccine are all given together, and they're a candidate for outbreaks because people don't want to take that vaccine. Um, but the others are pretty, you know, they're required to get into school. And so they're pretty much taken care of. And, of course, then we have SARS-CoV-2, which, you know, in five years, we probably won't vaccinate anymore against it because we won't need it. We'll have population immunity and that's it. But right now we have to encourage people to get vaccinated.
1: Was Australia correct in that, in, in deporting Novak uh, Djokovic for his uh, vaccine status? Do <clears throat> You think that was a proper policy response? well I th- or was I it d- politically I motivated think
3: he, I mostly think he, I don't understand what happened supposedly he lied about his vaccine status or lied about something
1: lied about i think when he was infected and
3: so, I don't know but look the the, ten- the the French tennis association now has said you have to be vaccinated to play tennis it's their right to require that yeah. so mm-hmm. Australia should have said you need vaccination to be to play tennis in which case don't come. Um, they should have made it clear ahead of time, but they made a fiasco out of it. Um, I think what was wrong was to keep him in a hotel for a while and um, instead of saying go back home right away because you're not vaccinated.
0: Yeah, they they wouldn't let him in, but they wouldn't yeah.
3: let him leave. They, they kind of yeah. just held
0: him there. But, I mean, who didn't see that coming? The dude's first name is Novak. I mean, seriously. <laughs>
3: yeah, very good. <laughs> yeah, <man. You> know, <laughs> that's great. <laughs> <laughs> no, he made his decision. He made his decision and um
2: Right, right. Uh, yeah, there's consequences. These, these tennis yep.
3: associations are private entities. They can do what they want. Yeah.
2: Any other questions, guys? Or
3: No, really appreciate was, your time. My pleasure. Yeah. It was Absolutely. illuminating as always. Hopefully we hopefully um, we don't have to do it again. <laughs> 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 not bec- just, just a, like your
0: earlier work, we won't need any more follow-ups right. <laughs>
3: uh, not because I don't enjoy chatting with you but I hope it's gone by you know in another six months or so at least in the U.S. the rest of the world is going to take oh, years
2: but maybe we'll come, have you come back on to talk about an actual flu va- uh, vaccine that works Sure. <laughs> there you go there you or go.
3: a victory lap hey it's yep. really yeah, over absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, we have everyone. to uh, go through the lessons and so forth for sure yeah, we're gonna we're oh, yeah, gonna be right doing right. that for a while. Any yeah. anytime, yeah. gentlemen, you know where to reach okay. me. Okay. So yeah, that
2: was uh, I, th- I think a pretty interesting conversation. I don't know what you guys uh, picked up on it. If you got everything answered that you dreamed about.
0: Yeah, there was at least one or two questions that I had written down that he actually touched on that I just scratched him out <laughs> during the talk. He had kind of covered uh, a couple of items that I wanted to go over with him already. So.
1: So I thought the answer on Israeli, and uh, not really to pick on Israel, but they seem to be the first. The Israeli studies one was, was interesting. He didn't necessarily advocate for, well, he did advocate for in-person school, especially where he teaches, which, by yep. the way, was pretty funny.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Or maybe not, not funny, but like... Laugh so you don't cry funny. You, 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 don't, uh, you don't ask the expert. <laughs> Right, that's on the payroll. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of nuts. I, he said that we can expect to go back to the way it was, and that I didn't want to feel hopeful at the time, but that, uh, there was, there was that's the best thing I've heard in a long time. Uh, big, yeah, actually.
2: Uh, big time. Did it make sense to you how this, you know, once we get to a herd immunity status, will just become like a cold for those of us that have immunity?
0: Yeah. And, and even up to that point, like he was talking about the wearing masks isn't for you. You're you're not wearing masks for your protection. You're wearing masks to protect those in society who won't even go out and protect themselves and get vaccinated.
1: That was definitely interesting. But I did not like the answer on the natural immunity and herd immunity. And I didn't I didn't like that at all because those are the arguments that the anti-vaxxers use. Those are cherry picked arguments, and not re- not even cherry picked arguments. Those are those are part of their arguments. What? did we get, get there. I, I don't need to get vac- vaccinated because natural immunity is better than yeah. And uh. they're really their tolerance for risk, whether they perceive it or not, is greater. Oh, absolutely. Those and, are the ones that are in the hospital, right? Well, yeah, for sure. But then younger people are st- are still dying. And the lack of vaccination is extending the pandemic is pretty much for everybody. Right. Also, with either uninformed or disingenuous arguments on why they're not going to get vaccinated or cherry picking their own science, that part of the conversation, honestly, my heart kind of sank a little bit because all of those things are what anti-vaxxers say. And if... The vaccinated side and the expert side are saying those things, they can cherry pick those pretty easily and just stop at that. That natural immunity is better. We're going to get to herd immunity and it's low risk. So I don't really need to endanger myself.
2: Yeah, but natural immunity is not necessarily better. In fact, uh, we maybe should have asked them that. We can see about having them back on. There you go. In six months. Um, <laughs> in six months when we're still in this. But because I know, I think we talked about that before, where natural immunity doesn't doesn't give you broad protection. If you had natural immunity plus of a shot, then that would broaden your protection. But I, that's what I'm thinking, that, that just getting COVID and doing nothing else isn't going to give you that broad protection. So you may still be at risk. So it's not the same and and i'm i'm pretty sure he said that on on the last podcast and if we asked him i bet he would you know still still say that which by so. the
1: way is the enemy of short succinct understandable health information because it's difficult to do without you think i'm mad about bulleted lists those people yeah. speak in them and they're not bulleted lists they're bulleted paragraphs It's the statement followed by the bulleted paragraph and another bulleted paragraph to be complete. Otherwise, it's, hey, natural immunity. Everyone's going to get it. It's just a common cold. That's why I don't need to get vaxxed because the experts told me that. They're leaving everything else out, but they use that as a justification not to get vaccinated, therefore prolonging it for everyone. Right, and that was one of my criticisms on...
2: The media. One of many. One of many. Uh, but jumping on the bandwagon, you know, to say this is just a mild variant, that it's it's kind of like the common cold. Yeah, I mean, you know, yes, it is for the people that have been vaccinated, but there's still people in the hospital. So obviously it's not just the little sniffles for those people. So for the media to, to say I, I think they got to put people's lives in danger by communicating that without having all the. All the facts,
1: but I didn't want to get into that, but I yeah. do think that is a uh, that is a less than convincing argument any anytime you say the media because it, it assumes that it's monolithic well, and yeah but it it assumes that that the multitude of media organizations are all making equally bad decisions in some ways are almost willfully doing just sensational news and not trying to get good information to their audiences. Yeah,
2: but that kind of gets on to what you were saying before, is like, where do you go for your answers? So what what I'm talking about is like whenever you watch segments on CNN, MSNBC, or you read in the Washington Post, or New York Times, or in the AJC, anytime they're talking about the variant... I would say ninety percent of the time they still use the term mild. They may they may have a word in front of it to say I can't remember exactly, but anyway they kind of insinuate that it's a mild variant.
1: Statistically, not a lot of people watch the cable news channels. Definitely, uh, small audiences. Way bigger audiences, unfortunately, watch prime time on Fox. Now it's the same audience. It's homogenous. Well, they're not getting anything real over there. Well, they're they're definitely not. So the broad-based criticism of the media, as you guys know, I'll go all day in, in criticizing them. But when you say it broadly like that, if the media is not getting the information out, then somebody should be. And he said that the CDC basically bungled the messaging before. And, oh, and by the way, Fauci shouldn't be the one leading the the public messaging on that. And he's been in that job for a long time. So it's easy to criticize the media, but they got to get that information from somewhere. That's the problem. And by the way, and shame on CNN for uh, not calling him back. There are guest bookers that will make that expect you to say certain things and maybe not comply with like a conventional wisdom but if if you're on in their mind to say a and you say B you might not get another callback right right if it doesn't fit the narrative that's program to program segment to segment I don't know uh, the, the media part that's a podcast in and of itself
2: yeah yeah because you know like I said you could you could find all kinds of examples with the CDC. Even in the current administration, I remember when that Provincetown study came out that was kind of showing all these people were mostly vaccinated, gathering at uh, in Massachusetts, and were testing positive. Well, they it's were Cape used- Cod, Cape Cod, yeah, yeah, and and you know, and so they were saying that this this is showing the vaccines, and at that time it was Delta. This was before the Omicron days, so you know, suggesting that the vaccines are starting to break down, that there's breakthrough infections, yada yada yada. But, you know, they were using the PCR test, which doesn't tell you if there's active infective virus, etc. Yeah, I mean, so they put that information out immediately and and the media picked up on it. So, yeah, I mean, there's a whole lot of fingers that you can you can point to is to, you know, but I don't know how you're going to change anything. I I really I really don't
1: say saying to stay off social media is difficult. Unfortunately, that's injected into people's brains. For a lot of people, most of their waking hours. So that's almost a little like shooting the messenger, or maybe not shooting the messenger, but like I'm not sure you can just say, "Hey, let's not pay attention to social media." Because well, yeah, you could get some hard. good
2: information from those sources. So it's it's you know it's not an all or nothing. But that's the thing is you have to you have to really know what sources are reliable. Yeah, it's very few and far between. Right.
0: Good information or in there.
1: Maybe not everybody is right a hundred percent of the time, and you're not going to get anybody that bats a thousand.
2: Right. To his point, he mentioned earlier. Then own up to it. If if you change, like he changed his concept of the booster, explain yourself on why you changed your viewpoint and apologize for any damage you might have done by the wrong viewpoint. But if somebody says something and it's true and you
0: don't agree with it all you have to do is point out that that person one time said something that was wrong and it's easily pointed <laughs> out that they said something that was wrong and if they're wrong about this what else are they wrong about
1: what are they hiding from us yep yep well jeff thank you for booking the good doctor that was a yeah, interesting absolutely. podcast and Appreciate, definitely appreciate his time.
0: I know we got some really good responses when we had him on the first time. Some good feedback from listeners uh, about him being on.
1: And if you are vaxxed and boosted, use those smarts to rate and review this five-star podcast. (laughs) There you go. Or...
0: See what he did there? Called it a five-star podcast. Yeah.
1: Troll us on Twitter at Godless Podcast. Uh, we've been getting quite a bit of that lately. <laughs> we have a private Facebook group. I don't know what's going on in that. Don? Still, still moving right along. Uh, just We just added a bunch of people to it here recently. It's not, not, a, it's not a hotbed of vaccine disinformation.
0: No. Uh, we, we actually, we were on... We were on, like, super secret probation for, like, a month. Oh, that's right. I forgot and, about that. Yeah, every, everything had to be approved. Every post had to be approved before it could go up. Somehow we made it through that probationary month and were not expelled. So I'm highly disappointed in everybody in the group. You got to step know, up your game. <laughs> dropping the ball like that.
3: <laughs>
1: Uh, the, our private uh zuckerberg approved facebook group <laughs> or you can email us at godless heathens at yahoo.com we have a patreon but use that money to unseat a republican and to convince somebody else to get vaccinated
2: there you go amen brother
1: all right and we'll see y'all in two weeks Peace. Yes. good night